join me in giving the Lord a hand clap of praise. Isn't he good? Isn't the Lord good? Mm. He is so good. Thank you, praise team. I really, really appreciate that. Y'all probably noticed since I'm down here in front, I'm slight Baptocostal. Have you noticed? I don't just worship stiff. I kind of need to move a little bit. Hands come up a little bit every once in a while. Is that okay here? Is that all right here, Cecilia Baptist? Okay, well, as long as we're okay together, we'll be fine. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, right in the middle of your Bible. And if you have that blue insert with the sermon notes, I think it would be a help to you this morning. We're continuing a series that I've failed to remind us about over the last few weeks called The Chef's Table. And that's why this table is here. And it's to remind us that God has invited us into a wonderful opportunity to commune with Him. To engage with the God of the universe. To sit at the table with the Creator of all things. And He has invited us to be at His table, the great banquet table. Our theme verse was from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are you and I when we hunger and when we thirst for the righteous things of God. That's when we will be filled. Several weeks ago, we examined the children of Israel, as they were in the wilderness, and they were hungry physically for food. And what did God do? God, in His miraculous power, fed them manna from heaven, and they were filled. A few weeks ago, we were studying Elijah, that great prophet who defeated the prophets of Baal and who found himself at the lowest point in his life. And what does God do? Feeds him. By an angel, filling him for the next journey. Last week, we were studying Elisha, his protege, his mentee. And Elisha goes and visits the woman who has only a little jar of oil left between her and complete disaster. And what does God do? He takes that little oil and he fills her cupboards. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For what? They will be filled. God invites us into this relationship with Him, and at our deepest need, He's always ready to respond with His greatest gift. Well, last Sunday after church, I went to Sam's. We were talking about Sam's this morning. I went to Sam's last Sunday. It might seem odd for that to be an important occasion, but we don't have a Sam's Club in Campbellsville, so we don't have much in Campbellsville, so when I'm here in town, we make that trip. And oddly enough, I buy something at Sam's that I only get there, and I'm, I'm happy to be wearing them today. I buy dress pants at, Sla- uh, at Sam's because they always have my size, and they're $19. Come on, that is perfect Price point for me, $19 slacks, perfect size. I buy every single color they have, and now it's starting to look like I'm a Sam's wardrobe guy. That's just what I have. As I was making around 
my way around the clothing section, I noticed one of those little kiosks that have the samples. You know what I'm talking about? Sam's is known for their samples. I, I, I walked up and there before me was a taste test. I think they were putting out some granola bars or breakfast bars or something. And there before me was the opportunity to test and to taste something that I hadn't had previously. Now, in previous visits to Sam's, I've tasted soda. I've tasted cheese. I've tasted fruit. Not that I don't know what fruit tastes like, but I've tasted that. I've even had sausage, like little sandwich sausage. Anything that Sam's puts out on those kiosks, I can't help myself. I find myself like a a bug to a light. I'm just walking around the store and I see those little kiosks and go right to them. My sons try to act like they're different people so they can go back over and over and over and get another sample or two each time. It's a taste test. It's... An opportunity for me and for you to try something new. With the idea that once we try it, once we taste it, then we'll want to buy the product they're selling. Well, in a similar way, Psalm 34 is a taste test experience. The psalmist David, who writes this psalm, wants you and I to experience a new way to worship. He wants us to experience the variety of ways that we can worship. He wants us to push past our idea that worshiping God is just singing songs. He wants to use new vocabulary and new words for us to understand that worshiping God actually is very little to do with singing or gathering in a building. But that anywhere we are, any moment in our lives, with any group of people, with ourselves by our alone or with a group, we can worship God Almighty in spirit and in truth in a variety of ways. And so this morning, I'd like us to do a taste test. I'd like us to see some different words and different descriptions of worship with the goal at the end that you sample some of these new ways and maybe expand your understanding of worship as well. Now, let me just be honest. If you have the notes, you are seeing 10 points. (laughs) I have yet to try a 10-point sermon here at Cecilia Baptist Church, but I promise you these will come really fast And they will come really quick. So you stay really engaged with me. Follow along as best you can. These ten will go by quickly, I promise. Psalm 34. Let's read the psalm together and hear from the psalmist David. Psalm 34 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. 
their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. He is good, isn't he? Let's take ten adjectives for God-honoring worship. Verse 1 tells us to what? Bless the Lord how often? How often? At all times. The first word is bless. Bless. You know, in our culture, we hear the word bless often in two ways. Someone sneezes and what do we say? Bless you. Or in the South, right before we insult someone, we say bless their heart. So we... Oh, my neighbor, bless his heart. He's as dumb as an ox. Or bless her heart. Her hair looks like a squirrel's nest. We, we put bless their heart before an insult, before a condescending remark. Or we say something like bless you when someone sneezes. And it's interesting that most of us don't really know what that means. We know what it means to receive a blessing. We know what it is to receive the blessed life, that our life is in good blessing from God. But what does it mean to return blessings back to Him? What does it mean to say, I bless you, God? I, I think of that hymn, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. What does it mean to bless the Lord? And what does it mean to bless Him at all times? Well, it's not an insult. And it's not a response to a sneeze. What it means is to pay God a compliment. It's to give God applause. Maybe not with personal hand clapping, but to shine God in a good light. It's to bless his name. It's to bless his name at all times. It's to say with real heartfelt meaning, I believe God is good. That blesses his name. It gives a blessing to the Lord. And right alongside of it is the word praise. Number two, right play, praise. Verse one says, I will Bless the Lord at all times. And right in connection, his praise will always be on my lips. Friends, can we always find something to praise the Lord for? Can we always find something to praise God for? We can applause the Lord, bless his name, and we can praise the Lord. Praise can always be on our lips. We can praise Him for the little things. We can praise Him for the big things. We can praise Him for the things we see. And friends, we need to praise Him for the things that we never see. You know, there's millions of things that happen in our everyday lives that if it wasn't for the Lord's hand, 
we be utterly destroyed. And if you're struggling with what do I praise the Lord for, the very fact that you have a beating heart and air in your lungs and a working body and you're upright and not in the box, you can praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Third, you can bless the Lord. You can praise the Lord. You can boast in the Lord. Verse 2 says, I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. The humble will hear the boasting in the Lord and their, their gladness will come forth. Well, boasting in the Lord is somewhat of an interesting idea. It's not something we often refer to. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 is an interesting verse. And it's quoted several times in the New Testament as a way to understand what it means to boast in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says this. This is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord. Show justice and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. The Lord is saying to us, we shouldn't boast about our goodness, our strength, our wisdom, our money. If anything we should boast in, we should boast in the fact that our God is faithful. That our God is just. That our God is full of mercy. That our God is full of grace. Friends, we should boast, if we're going to boast at all, only in the Lord. Because Wisdom can be quickly ushered into foolishness. Strength can be quickly changed into weakness. And let me tell you, wealth can quickly become poverty. But God is not one who changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Our God is beyond time. He is above time. He's different than time. He has no beginning and has no end. He is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. God is able to be boasted in because He is wholly unlike us. He is wholly different than anything we know, anything that we see. And we can boast in the Lord. If you can't find that to be reason enough, you can think of Jesus on the cross. Friends, you and I have absolutely nothing to boast in, in and of ourselves. We are sinners destined for separation from God. But praise be to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Who sought to save those who were lost. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, these words. It is from God, it is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast 
in the Lord. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would not have right standing before God. If it wasn't before Jesus, we would not be sanctified or made right to be in God's presence. If it wasn't for Jesus, our sin would never be redeemed, never be atoned for, never be paid for. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would be destined for an eternal separation from God. If any of us have anything to boast, we need to boast only in this. God saved our souls. And it was through Jesus on the cross. You can bless the Lord. You can praise the Lord. You can boast in the Lord. Number four. You doing okay? You doing okay? Number four. You can proclaim. Proclaim. Verse three. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. Did you notice in that verse there is some corporate language? Did you get it? Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. There's a back and forth. Let us exalt his name together. There's a corporate language. And let me ask you this. Friends, in your conversations, in your interactions with people, co-workers, in your discussions around the dinner table, in your interactions online, do you regularly proclaim the Lord's greatness with others. Regularly, do you proclaim to other people how great God is to you? You see, there's a back and forth here that the psalmist is bringing us to. And he's challenging us to think carefully about how we say things and how we do things. And this is part of that worship expansion, thinking differently about worship. Not just in the context of your Christian brothers and sisters, not just in the context of your church family, but even in the presence of unbelievers, even in the presence of the atheist or the hater of God. Do you regularly, do I regularly speak about the Lord's greatness with others? That's worship. That's declaring God's attributes. You can bless his name. You can praise his name. You can boast in him. And you can proclaim him. Number five. You can seek him. Verse four tells us that the psalmist writes, I sought the Lord. And he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Friends, this is one thing that I don't think we often attribute to worship. We think when we're worshiping God, we already know who God is. And we understand all that God is. And we come to God with the knowledge of all that he has done. But friends, let me tell you, worship can also be seeking more of who God is. It's stepping into the unknown space. It's stepping into the space where you say, I don't have all the answers. I don't have all things figured out. And when you seek the Lord, when you seek the Lord, that's worshiping the Lord. Seek and you will find. Ask and you will receive. Knock and the door shall be opened, Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. And all these things shall be added unto you. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's okay to say, I don't know all the answers. I don't have it all worked out. But I'm going to seek the Lord. That's worship. That's understanding that 
that God is not playing a game of hide and seek. He's not trying to hide himself from you. But in that active participation of worship, you have to seek him. And the scripture says, and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. Verse 5, I love this verse. And those who look to him, those who seek after him, those who go after him, those who say, I don't have all the answers, I don't have it all worked out, but I'm just going to go after God, I'm going to hunt for God, I'm going to seek God. What happens to them? They have the radiance of joy. The radiance of joy and their faces will never be ashamed. Friends, let me make you a promise today. If you seek after God, you will find Him. But if you never seek after God, guess what? He will never, ever be found. How does that work? It's taking you as the worshiper, the initiation. God in His infinite wisdom knows that part of the relationship at the table is not for Him just to control us by robotic tool, but to allow us to seek Him, to know Him, to go after Him, to ask more of Him, to want to hear from Him. And God then answers those prayers. That's worship. When was the last time you just got on your knees and said, God, I don't know everything, but I'm going to seek the one who does. That's worship. We go on. Verse 6 has our sixth worship word and it's cry. Cry. Verse 6 tells us this poor man cried. And the Lord heard him. If you want to go on down to number 7, it's tied to this verse. It's prayer. Pray. Have you ever been in a place where tears... And prayers were so intermingled that you didn't know one from the other. Uh, we were around the dinner table this week and we were having a little discussion with our sons. And my youngest said something to the effect of real men don't cry. They just sweat tears. They just sweat through their eyes. And his mother trying to help him in his young heart to know that it's okay to cry she said no real men cry Jesus cried and there is no more real man to ever walk the face of the earth than Jesus and he cried and there was something about that dinner table conversation that led me to do a little study and I found a verse that I have never ever noticed speaking about Jesus I've always known John 11, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. I've always known that one little verse, two-word verse. And I thought, okay, Lazarus' death, Lazarus being in the grave, Jesus wept. It's, it's kind of almost cliche and cute. But doing in a little bit of study, I found Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. I have never noticed this in nearly 30 years walking with Jesus. Hebrews 5, 7 says this. During his earthly life, speaking of Jesus, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. What that says to me is that Jesus, during his earthly life, 33 years, there were moments 
different than just the Lazarus Jesus wept. There were times when Jesus went before the Father with tears and with appeals and with prayers and with loud cries because Jesus in his humanity knew at one point he was going to have to die on the cross. But in his reverence to God, that sounds very worshipful. In his reverence to God, he was heard because he knew God was able to save him even from that physical death. And this is what I want to challenge you with, brothers and sisters. There are times in your life where the only only appropriate response is tears and cries and appeals to God, knowing that he is the only one able to save you and to save me. There's nothing wrong with crying in worship. There's nothing wrong with praying in heartfelt ways in worship. And you can be assured that God hears those prayers and sees those tears. Number eight speaks about fear, fearing the Lord. Go back once more with me to verse 9 and 10. This is the end of the psalm, but once again, so that you're following with me, verse 9 and 10 says, You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it's to recognize how great God is. It's not an afraid of God, even though that can be part of it. It's not to be ashamed or run from God, even though in our sinfulness we never want to be in His holy presence. But it's to recognize how powerful God is, how able God is. Is our God able to do what He has promised to do? Ephesians 3.20, God is able able to do immeasurably more than we could ever think or ask. And we need to fear that in a proper way. That doesn't mean we run and hide from the presence of God. No, we just recognize it as an authority. Did any of you grow up fearing your father? Can you fear and love the same person? Absolutely. I am actually still to this day, as a 41-year-old man, a little afraid of my dad. He's not imposing. He's not overbearing. He's one of the most loving men ever to be around. But there is a proper fear. And actually, I have two sons, and I want them to be slightly afraid of me. Proper fear shows a spirit of reverence and respect in recognizing their authority. Well, let me give you the last two as we close. Nine and ten come together. And I'm so thankful. So thankful for that wonderful worship song, Nick. We read and we sung, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Taste and see. And this has been my question for you, and this is my question for me all week. How do you taste that the Lord is good? How do you taste that the Lord is good? Yes, can you see the Lord is good? Yes. How do you taste the Lord is good? That sounds like a, an eating thing, a mouth thing, a taste bud thing. How do we taste the goodness of the Lord? Well, that simply means is we savor 
how good God has been in our life. Has God been good in your life? Do you savor that? Do you experience that? Do you take it in and you recognize how good the Lord has been? Scripture says how happy are those who take refuge in him. Friends, can you savor that the Lord is good? Can you really say, I am my happiest when I'm in his refuge? These are all words of worship. These are all ways to worship him more, whether it's blessing his name, praising his name, boasting in him, proclaiming his greatness, seeking after him, crying, praying, fearing him, tasting and savoring, or seeing. Let me ask you, do you need to have an expanded view of worship? It's more than singing. It's all of these things and then some. I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads as I invite the praise team to come back. I'm just going to give you a chance just to spend some time quietly before the Lord worshiping Him in one of these ways. Maybe just in your prayer right now to the Lord, you just need to bless His name. Compliment Him. Applaud Him. Share things to him that you're thankful that he has done in your life. Maybe you just need to praise his name. Maybe you just need to say, God, I praise you over and over and over to recognize how good he has been in your life. Maybe even in this moment, you just need to proclaim. Proclaim his attributes. Proclaim his character. Proclaim what he has done. Proclaim who he is. And by doing so, you're saying in your heart, saying in your prayers what God wants to hear. And that's worship. Before we even sing, maybe you just need to boast in the Lord. You just need to boast not in yourself anymore. Not just look to your own power and authority, your own strength and might. But you recognize his power, his authority, his strength, his might. Maybe right now you just need to seek him. Just say, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all put together. But I seek you. That's worship. Might even need to break into a tear. Maybe even need to cry out. God, I'm hurting. But I know you're with me. Maybe you just need to stand in a moment in a proper reverence and say, God, I'm afraid of you and I fear you, but I'm going to stand before you knowing that I'm beloved. I'm saved. Maybe you just need to savor, taste, and see how good God is. And in silence, you just meditate and reflect on how good God has been in your life. I'm just going to give you a few moments. However, one of those worship words have impacted your heart today. I'm going to pray you respond appropriately in worship, even without a song. These are good. Your faithfulness. 
invite you to quietly stay in. The altar is open. I'll be over here. I'd love to pray with any of you. But I'm going to let this time be a spirit of worship. Expanded worship. So however you need to respond, you do so. As we sing this song.